Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Friday, August the 25th, 2023. It is currently 9.44 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. If you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I know I should be saying 2 Corinthians chapter 7 because that's that was the original goal. It's just to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. That was the goal. 2 Corinthians 5 17 and 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1. However, all of that got derailed and we ended up in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, looking at verses 17 and 18, and we had lots of issues to work through. Now, I don't always say this, but this is one of those situations. If you missed the last episode in this series on sanctification, please go back and listen to it, all right? You need to go listen to the last broadcast you absolutely must because we try to deal with the, the problem that clearly 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 presents. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1, we read these words. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. So the motivation to cleanse yourself in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. The motivation that is presented, hey, here's what should motivate you to cleanse yourself, are these promises. Most commentaries think that those promises are found in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, where we read these words. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And then here are the promises. Promise number one, I will receive you. Promise number two, I will be your father. Promise number three, you shall be my sons and daughters. Now, this presents many problems, right? Because those sound like salvific pro uh, promises, Hey, I will receive you. I will be your father. You will be my child. That sounds like promises of salvation. Well, this would mean those promises of salvation are conditional because this is a conditional promise. If you want to be received by God, if you want him to be your father, and if you want to be his child, then you must come out and be ye separate from them, and you must not touch the unclean thing. And then God will be your father, God will receive you, and you will be his child. And because now you have those promises, then you should be motivated to cleanse yourself. But I don't know what you would be cleansing yourself from since you've already separated yourself from the, the ungodly and you have, you've come out from among them and be separate and you're touching not the unclean thing. I don't know what you're cleansing yourself from, but supposedly if you do that, then you get these promises, then that should motivate you to cleanse yourself. The whole thing is rather complicated and it's problematic. So what we heard, because we're reviewing audio from a sermon preached at Ambassador Baptist College as they began their fall uh, 2023 semester, the audio we're reviewing, they suggested that these three promises are not salvific. 
They don't have anything to do with salvation. When it says, I will receive you, this is basically, and I'm not making fun of this. This is literally basically what they said. That's just Jesus giving you basically a special hug. See, he loves you, but for him to really put his arms around you, you have to come out from among them and be separate and touch not the unclean thing. You have to be clean. And when it says, I will be your father, I mean, he's already your father, but see, he'll be an absentee father unless you clean yourself up. If you clean yourself up, then he'll be a present father. And well, you're already his son, but you'll be like a, you know, you'll have a special relationship with your father if you clean yourself up. Well, all of that is just major. It's just so many problems with all of it. So we looked at it. We tried to address it more from a law gospel perspective. I offered that uh, what I think is the only solution I can come up with that makes any kind of sense. And I offered that in the last episode. Please go back and listen. I just don't want to spend all of the time reviewing everything. I've already spent six minutes. And if I try to review the next part, we'll be at 15, 20 minutes before we can move on. So what they basically claimed is that the motivation to be clean are these promises in chapter six or chapter second Corinthians chapter six verses 17 through 18, then that should motivate you to be clean. So we looked at all of that and all the problems. Now in the audio that we are reviewing, they're going to tell us the method of being clean. How do you clean yourself? So we're going to listen and we're going to discover how the method that we're supposed to use to clean ourselves. And so that that's that's a quick review and I hope you're ready to proceed. Now again, we are reviewing audio from the Ambassador Baptist College. This they have just started their fall 2023 semester. Now you can listen to them on the Sermons 2.0 app and they can be found anywhere else you get your podcast if you look them up. Um, I would tell everyone to listen to them, follow them, s- subscribe to them. I like listening to every seminary, Bible college, Bible institute that puts their audio online. I like to listen to see what's going on in these institutions of, of biblical learning, these institutions of higher learning, training the next generation of pastors. I, li- I like seeing what's going on and what's being taught. I have some major issues with how they've handled 2 Corinthians 6 and 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. But to be fair, they've handled it pretty much, pretty much like the majority does. But the majority doesn't realize that inadvertently, as they basically handle something that would relate to the doctrine of sanctification, they've inadvertently basically destroyed and corrupted the doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, because of an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. But nobody seems to ever catch on. Anytime people talk about sanctification, I think they always undermine the doctrine of justification. It happens over and over and over again, and nobody ever seems to catch on. I don't know why people can't catch on, but they don't. In fact, to me, when most, when most non-Catholics talk about sanctification, they sound like Catholics. <laughs> that's, that's what they've done. That's what they do. And they, they don't realize it. And I, I, look, I don't know what else to do. I, I can all, all I can ever tell people to do is, Hey, if you disagree with me, go, go enroll at a Catholic university and learn Catholic theology. And you may realize, I think I'm more Catholic than I thought I was. Because when you hear Christians sometimes talk about justification and sanctification, 
even though we use all the cliches, we use all of the, 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 the buzzwords. We know, we know the right words to say. When you really listen to them try to articulate and explain justification and sanctification, it almost inevitably becomes almost a justification based off an infused righteousness. And if you don't do enough, well, you're not saved. Now we would say, well, it proves you were never saved, but in a roundabout way, you're just saying the exact same thing. And, and it creates a, a major problem. So according to Ambassador Baptist College, Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one is going to give us a method and how to cleanse ourselves because we have to cleanse ourselves because if we will cleanse ourselves, then, then God will receive you. Then he will be your father. Then you can be his child. But somehow none of that means salvation, which is, oh, it's such a problem. But let's listen and let's see where we can go. All right, here we go. Less than what it is in this passage of scripture. I want you to notice number two, not only the motive of our cleansing, but I want you to consider the method of our cleansing. And this is amazing to me. I would not be surprised if the Apostle Paul had said something similar to what David said. You know what David said. We've read uh, verses like uh, Psalm 51 where he says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Certainly that's biblical language to use. That's a biblical prayer to pray. Lord, I want you to come. I'm surrendering to you. I want you to enter in. I want you to clean me. I want you to cleanse me. I want to be as pure and clean as only you can make me. We would not be surprised by that kind of language. Indeed, it's all over the Bible. But when we come to Second. Corinthians 7 and verse 1, that's not what he says. He does not say, surrender yourself to the hand of God and let God cleanse you. Rather, he says, let us cleanse ourselves. Now, I applaud this because that's the same thing that jumped out at me, right? So, and the reason it jumped out at me is because when you talk about sanctification, the foundational principle to sanctification in the minds of most Christians is that somehow we are, we are given some kind of special power. We're given some kind of special ability. And it starts with the idea that supposedly that the moment of salvation, practically speaking, you become a new creature. Everything becomes new and the old is completely gone. Well, then there would be nothing to be cleansed from because supposedly, practically, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, all things have become new. That would mean the eradication of the old nature. Christians always preach this like this is a practical reality. Clearly, it is not a practical reality because clearly you're still a sinner. You still have a sinful nature. And right there, not too many verses later, 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says you need to cleanse yourself. Well, if I'm a new creature in the old God and everything is new, I have nothing to cleanse myself of. So we have to understand 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is referring to our position in Christ. I'm new. The old is gone. Everything is new. His righteousness is accredited to my account. I stand before him perfect, holy, and righteous, and obedient. In practice, I'm still very much a a sinner, and now I have to cleanse myself. That's what jumped out at me in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. I had no idea where we're going to go back to chapter 6, and we have to work out all of these other issues. 
But I'm glad we worked out some of those issues. I'm not saying it's perfect, but at least I put forth a at least a workable hypothesis. It may not be a a, a great one, but I at least gave one. Now he's like, hey, okay, you've got to cleanse yourself. Ooh, okay. Now, if we're cleansing ourselves, this means we're cleansing ourselves, obviously, of I mean, we, we can't cleanse ourselves of our sin nature because that's there. So to cleanse ourselves, meaning we're just working on ourselves the best we can, we are obviously never going to get anywhere close to sinlessness. So the question is, how do we accomplish this? Because obviously there's a limit in what we can accomplish. Every Christian has to admit that, right? Christians sell it that now you have the ability to say no to sin and the power to say yes to God. And now you have this, the power of the Holy Spirit living in you and he will help you overcome sin. Well, according to that language, then sinless perfection is not only possible, should be probable, but we know we're never going to get to perfection. So that means we know when we cleanse ourselves, there's clearly a limit in how clean we can get. Everyone has to go in knowing that. Right? Because the sin nature is not eradicated. So then how do we do this? And he's at, and at any point in this discussion, he still has not quantified what it means to be clean in any way, shape, or form. He's not quantified it, qualified it, defined it. Just we're supposed to be clean, but he's yet to tell us exactly how clean clean can be. I mean, how clean can you be and still be, cons- and be cl- considered clean in the eyes of God? I think even our best, we're still nothing more than filthy or our good works are filthy rags and we're still filthy sinners. So I I think the only cleanliness we can ultimately ever achieve is positionally. I know there's a level of practical cleanliness, but there's no way really to quantify it. I can hear when this broadcast is over, I could be sitting here in this empty studio by myself and I could be tempted to do something and I avoid doing it physically. I don't engage in it in any way, shape, or form physically, whatever that may be. But guess what? I'm still not clean if I engage in it mentally. So do I take some comfort that I didn't engage in an activity physically, even though I engaged in it mentally? Do I feel clean? Or do I realize, woe is me, I am undone, I'm still a million miles away. I don't, I don't know how we really ever quantify this idea of, of any level of holiness or cleanliness in the Christian life. I, no one has ever been able to clearly articulate. They're like, well, it's better that you didn't do it physically. But I mean, yeah, I know that. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying we should just go do everything, right? If, if in my mind, I'm in Vegas, drunk, drugs, and a prostitute, Okay, that's horrible that it's in my mind. Obviously, it's much better than going there physically, at least from a human perspective and all the human consequences and pain and suffering that could cause. But before God, I'm just as guilty as if I did it. So then how do we ever, and if I'm guilty of one point of the law, I'm guilty of all of it. So how do we ever truly quantify any supposed spiritual success in our life? Nobody ever really wants to define that. I think our, my only hope is I understand cleanliness and holiness and my positional standing before God because that is perfect and complete because it's not based on anything I do, but it's based on everything Christ accomplished. All right, but let's see what he's going to do with this. Hmm. It almost sounds as if the ball is in our court. 
it almost sounds as if everything necessary for my cleansing is available at hand. Oh, boy. Everything necessary for your cleansing is available at hand. Now, I want you to hear that. If that is true, everything necessary for my cleansing is available at hand. That means I should get to sinless perfection. Because cleanly, if cleansly, if we're going to talk about being clean, if we're going to be talking about being cleansed, that would have to be, we're equating it with holiness, right? Well, if everything I need to be cleansed is at hand, then, then Christians should be expected to be perfect. So on one hand, we're like, everything you need to be cleansed. I, like, I don't even understand Christianity so much. They, uh, and it's so maddening. It's like double speak. It's like we say one thing and say a different thing and it contradicts and nobody, because nobody in church is allowed to ever go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. None of this makes any sense. You're just talking in circles. You're using lots of words, but it's just, you know, sound and fury signifying absolutely nothing. It's vanity of vanities. When you really break it down, on one hand, you make it sound like I can be sinless. On the other hand, you're saying I can't be sinless. On one hand, you're, you make it sound like there is literally no excuse not to be sinless. And then you turn around and say, well, no one's going to be perfect. <laughs> and then you say, well, you have everything you need to be perfect, but you'll never be perfect because you don't want to be perfect. Well, why wouldn't God then take away the thing that's co- what's causing me not to be want to be perfect? Well, the sin nature. Well, as long as I have a sin nature, then I don't have everything to make me clean because you, the first thing that would be required is to eradicate the sin nature. It's, it's like a circle and it's like, it's like a hamster on a hamster on, a, on, that, on that wheel just running, going nowhere. But we're running and we're running and we're talking and we're using our words and we're talking and we're preaching all of these sermons and we're having our conferences and we're writing our books, but we're not going anywhere. It almost sounds as if the only thing standing between me and being clean is a decision that I myself must make. Let us. The only thing standing in your way from being clean. Now, if being clean would have to be equated with holiness. Unless there's some kind of clean that doesn't equate to holy. You can't be holy, but you can be clean. I, well, if I'm not clean, then I'm not holy, right? So the only thing stopping you from being holy is, is a decision. All you have to do this evening, ladies and gentlemen, I've got some great news for you, right? I feel like it's an info commercial. I should have waited till about three in the morning to do this info commercial. Hey, call now because we have everything you need to be holy. All you have to do is decide you want to be holy. And if you will make that decision before, before 6 a.m., you will be holy. You will be perfect. Now, I do know there's a way you can be holy and perfect before 6 a.m. And that is trust in the finished work of Christ alone. And you'll be, de- be declared perfectly righteous and holy, not because you'll be holy or righteous practically, but because you'll be holy and righteous in Christ. And you'll be declared to be that which you will never be practically. But is that what he's referring to? Is that what he's referring to? 
do we, do we put a bet on it? Do we put, do we put money down on it? Uh, not literal gambling, but figuratively speaking. Let's see. Us cleanse ourselves. I want to ask you something. Is the means of spiritual cleansing readily available? Is it right at hand? If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, I want to say emphatically, it is available. It is right at hand. Romans chapter 10, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, even the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's what the Bible says. Can I tell you today, the means of cleansing for your eternal soul is right there. It's available. It's at hand. Jesus came to this earth. He lived a sinless life. He, was a, he, he died a substitutionary death when he hung there on the cross. He bore your sin and he bore my sin. And today he offers the means of, of being clean in our heart and in our soul. It's made freely available to all men. That's why the Spirit and the Bride say come. That's why let him that heareth say come. That's why whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. That's why the Word of God says that. Whoa, Okay. Now he's seeming to say the way we are made clean is putting our faith in Jesus Christ. He's referring to a positional cleansing unless he's going to argue that in salvation we are not just positionally positionally cleansed. We are cleansed in a practical way. Then he's going to turn justification not into being justified based off an imputed righteousness. He's clearly now going to connect it to an infused righteousness, which you've just thrown out the entire Protestant Reformation and you've returned to Rome. Is he going to keep it on the positional side or is he going to make this the practical side? And then, oh, there we got issues here. Where is this going to go? 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 Is he going to protect an imputed righteousness? Or is he going to corrupt the doctrine of imputed righteousness and slip over into the Roman Catholic era of an infused righteousness? Where, 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 where? I don't know. I'm I'm ready to hear what you think. Okay, okay, okay. All right, here we go. We got to hear, we got to hear, we got to hear, right? Do I make you wait? Do I make you wait? Okay. All right, here we go. Here we go. But you and I know that there are people who will never be saved. It is not that the means of cleansing is unavailable. It is that they have never made the decision to trust Christ. Mm-hmm. Hear me, after you get saved, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. That blood that saved you is still available to cleanse you. But I'll just tell you something. There are many people who just don't avail themselves. They decide, I will not cleanse myself. Okay. So what he seems to be inferring here is that the blood of Jesus cleanses you positionally but the blood of Christ also cleanses you practically. All you have to do is to avail yourself of that blood. So the blood cleanses you positionally. Now, all you need to do is avail it. It's like, I, I don't know. The blood is, I don't know where to, I don't know what even to use as a illustration. I'll just hold this bottle here. The blood is in this bottle 
Now, it, it supposedly already cleansed me perfectly positionally, but now practically I've got to avail my, I, I've got to, I got to avail my, myself of it. I've got to, I got to, I got to use it. I got to grab onto it. I got to, I got to do something with it. Now, how do you use the blood to cleanse yourself practically? Because if all I have to do tonight is like, okay, okay, the blood that, that cleansed me practically, I just got to grab onto that blood and it will make me perfect practically. Now, if look, if it's the blood doing the cleansing, it's got to be perfect, right? So supposedly there's the blood that cleansed me positionally, but the blood is available to cleanse me practically. I just have to avail myself of it. I just have to use it. Oh, I'm curious. How do I use the blood to cleanse me practically? And I must, and I'm going to make an argument. If the blood of Christ is the thing cleansing me practically, then ladies and gentlemen, there is no excuse for not being perfect. So what do I do? How do I avail myself of this blood? How do I get this blood? How do I obtain it? How do I get it? Do I get it by faith? Do I have to pray? What do I have to do? Do I have to go to church? What do, I, what do I have to read my Bible? What do I have to do to get this blood to cleanse me of my practical? And, and does this, does this blood I have that I can, that's available to me? Will it cleanse my sinful nature completely? Will it eradicate it? Oh, any good Bible student should be asking themselves some good questions right here. Here we go. Ladies, most of you have never been in a men's restroom, okay? Some of you are on the cleaning staff. Okay, I understand that. But most of you, so let, let me tell you about most of the men's restrooms that I have been in throughout the world with a couple of exceptions, uh, but most of them have a facility there and then there is a sink there. And ladies, I don't know if this will shock you, but many men's restrooms do not have a mirror. You say that explains a lot, okay? They don't have a mirror. All right, some do, but many do not. But they all, Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, does men's bathrooms not have mirrors? I think every men's bathroom I've ever been in has a mirror. Don't they? I'm, try, I'm trying to think. Okay, maybe, maybe at their school, the men's bathrooms don't have mirrors. Doesn't all men's bathrooms have mirrors? Okay, not that it's a big deal, because I know he's going to try to make a point here about being clean, but I'm just, I'm just thinking, is that, okay, all right, but all right, I'm getting, I'm getting, see, that's my own fault, that's my own fault, it's like butterfly, and I start chasing the butterfly, it's like, I need, I need a statistical, I need a statistical analysis, so I'm going to go on a road trip starting tomorrow, and I'm going to cross the entire nation, and I'm going to stop everywhere there's a men's bathroom, and see if it has a mirror, okay, and I'm going to create a social media account where I take photographs of every bathroom I go into, okay, no, that would be that would be, I mean, I guess if I was rich, it would be fun. I guess if I was rich and I could do that. Does anyone want to fund me having a road trip across the entire United States, taking pictures of men's bathrooms to see if they have mirrors in them? Okay, probably not. Okay, I, I, okay. focus, focus. He's, he's just making an illustration. Remember what I always talk about illustrations? Sometimes our illustrations as pastors, I do it all the time can so distract from the point that you forget the point because you get caught up in the illustration. Okay, I just did that, all right? Bad on me. Bad. 
bad. Okay, I'm slapping myself. All right, here we go. Always, uh, at least in the United States, it seems, they always have a sink there. And then, not far from the sink, maybe it's on this wall or maybe it's on this wall, or they have some kind of soap dispenser. Now, I don't know who invented the soaps, okay? I'm a guy that likes to work with my hands from time to time, and uh, sometimes I work with my hands even when I don't like to do it, you know, like working on the trailer. But at any rate, you get dirty when those kind of things happen. Well, when a guy gets dirty, he wants to go in and get clean. Well, some engineer somewhere whose hands are as soft as, as a baby's cheeks, at some engineer, his cheeks, they're as soft as a baby's cheeks, uh, they, they, they decided, I'm going to invent this soap. That's foam. It may be wonderful for removing the bacteria, but it doesn't do anything for dirt. Now, if they want to put it in the ladies' restrooms, that's fine. They put it in the men's restrooms, and it ticks me off. Every time my hands are dirty, I think, you know, I don't want to ingest grease with this hamburger or this chicken nuggets. Or There's already a bad enough in the chicken nuggets as it is. Now, why do I need axle grease in there, too? But you put your hands in there, and it's not going to get clean. Well, never mind. They, they put all those things in the men's restroom. And so, so when, when the business is done, you can come out, you can wash your hands, and then there's some kind of drying device. I personally have never been a fan of the air dryers, you know. You stick your hands under them, it's supposed to dry your hands. For one thing, they have them in Arizona. You don't need them in Arizona. I mean, by the time the, you stick your hand under the water, you've seen this thing that they have, right? Hey, now, just just I know we're focusing on sanctification here, but if we were doing a typical sermon review, I would point this out. This is what I always talk about when it comes to illustrations. Here's always the danger of illustrations. You get so caught up in the story. Now, the people start laughing. The people get caught up in the stories. They think it's funny. But the problem is, in many cases, you get people so far removed from the actual point where when the people leave, they may start laughing or talking about the illustration. They may stop somewhere for lunch and go into the bathroom and then come out laughing about the soap or laughing about... And nobody will remember the sermon. Look, it, it is a, it is a... It's, it's just, I don't, I don't say this to criticize because I've been guilty of it before. I've talked about in my own church. People still remember the stuck in the mud illustration I gave. No one can remember the sermon. They can remember, they don't even remember what the illustration was pointing at. So, it it happens. I've, I'm guilty of it because once you start telling these stories, you get caught up in it because you're you're public speaking and you're getting a reaction. You can be sitting there trying to figure out Second Corinthians six seventeen through eighteen and how it connects to chapter seven verse one, and you're working out all of the theological issues and all the problems. And you look at the people's faces and you're just kind of like, uh, you start telling some illustration of some story. They start laughing. They perk up. They start listening. Well, then. Even if it's, even if it's not a conscious decision, you're, you're, you're subconscious, you're, you're, you, you almost begin to just, you play it up. You start adding to the story. You tell more because you're getting that reaction. The only problem is you're getting people further and further and further and further away. Now remember, his whole point here, this illustration is supposed to illustrate how we have available the blood of Jesus to cleanse us practically, not not just positionally. 
He's, he's implied that the blood that cleanses you positionally is also available to you to cleanse you practically. Now, again, he's not yet quantified what that means to be clean. And if the blood of Jesus is the thing that cleanses us practically, why can't I get to perfect sinless perfection? And does the blood of Jesus that's available to you after you're saved practically, does it eradicate the old nature? I got questions. Right now, we're not getting answers, but we're getting an elaborate stories about bathrooms. Okay, but let's continue. Where you, you don't have a handle to turn the water on. It's all by the electronic eye. That's what they have in a lot of men's restrooms. I don't know what they have in women's restrooms, but they have this electronic eye. You know half the time it doesn't work? I don't know this. And you didn't hear it here. But somewhere in the state of Utah, in an underground bunker, the NSA is taping us while we try to get the water to come on to wash our hands. <laughs> I know it! Come on! What's the matter with this thing? Ay, 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 ay. And then, then you think, well, I finally got the water to come out. I can wash my hands and go. And now then you go to the paper towel dispenser. And guess what? You don't touch it either. It has the electronic eye. (laughs) And finally it comes out. I know, I know the guys are sipping their coffee. Look at him. I know they're doing it. But you know what? All of those things are available in the men's restroom. Okay. He's having a good time. You You hear the reaction of the crowd? They're much more invested than they were when he was trying to explain the, the, the promises in 2 Corinthians 7, 1 or supposedly the promises in 2 Corinthians 7, 17 through 18. And, and he didn't bother to obviously address all of the theological implications and issues that that may present. He didn't bother to do that. He has spent, exa- uh, uh, I'm not going to say an exuber, a large amount of time, but he spent some amount of time with this story. Everyone's laughing. What do you think the people will talk about when they leave? What do you think? They're going to be talking about the theological possible problems with this entire section, with this entire sermon, or are they going to be talking about bathrooms? And now this is just a, this is just a a critique of preaching, but the same critique can be leveled at me. I've done the same thing thousands of times. Well, I, I start preaching and I'm next thing I'm telling some story. And sometimes you're just kind of like, and sometimes preachers will laugh. Well, what was I saying? What was my point? And everyone thinks it's hilarious when a pastor does that. The only problem is it, it, it may be funny, but it's also sad because you're supposed to be preaching the scriptures. I'm not saying illustrations aren't good. As long as they get the, to the point and help you understand the point. If the people don't remember the point, then the illustration is actually negative. And I have probably had thousands of negative illustrations. I've done it in podcasting. I've done it in preaching. I've done it in teaching. I have probably have done it a million different ways. So not being critical of it. I'm just, I'm, I, I'm being critical of when I've done, I've done it. I'm here, not here to criticize him for that. You can just draw your own conclusion, right? Now remember, now he's transitioning back. So this is good. He's drawing the connection. He's saying that in the bathroom, all of these things are available. Now, the only problem is, 
If he's going to connect that to the blood of Christ, he's not doing a very good job because what he's demonstrated is all these things that are available. They don't actually work. They don't actually do. The soap doesn't actually clean your hands. The water doesn't always come out and the paper towels don't always work. So what he's actually shown in his illustration is all the things to cleanse you that are available don't always work. And somehow he's going to connect that to the blood of Christ. Okay. I know that's not what he's attempting to do, but he's not. If he was going to tell the story, you know, you get your hand, but you go into the bathroom and what's available. You've got soap. You've got water. You've got paper towels. You've got all of this available to you. And all you have to do is decide to go in there and it will cleanse you perfectly. But what he's actually done is given us an illustration where all the things that cleanse you don't actually work. So in a roundabout way, he may be undermining his own illustration without even realizing it. But but I digress. I digress. I digress. We have to focus. Okay. Just all of those things work. I'm just going to go with this story. All of them work. They work perfectly. Now, the blood of Jesus is like it's in it's in a room somewhere. And all we have to do is just walk in and boom, it will cleanse us. So how do I get the blood? How do I how do I access this blood so that it will cleanse me practically? All right. Because if it works this way, then 2000 years of church history should be basically spotless, clean Christians without any sin. So how do we get it? There's a sink. There's soap for whatever good it does. There's the means of drying your hands, but can I tell you, I've seen men come out and walk right past it and not avail themselves of the means of cleansing that's right there. And we could argue about how bad that is. We could have discussions about that, but far worse is the child of God who has the blood of Jesus Christ right there available. Okay, now, of course, his illustration starts breaking down because, well, if none of it works, why would you avail yourself of it, right? And then we could get into a discussion about, like, I've walked into some bathrooms before and I'm like, I'm not touching anything in here. I'm not touching anything in here because I think I may get a disease, okay? But, or see, see, now I'm going to start telling illustrations. But the point is now, okay, the point is, so we got to focus in. We got to focus in. We got to focus in. Focus in. As men walk into bathrooms and don't avail themselves of all of these wonderful cleaning options, all of these tools for cleansing, the child of God has the blood of Christ right there but they don't make use of it. All right, I need practical understanding of how I'm to make use of it and I need to know exactly what it will do. All right, so the issue is, obviously we can see where this is going. If you tonight, wherever you are, if you are a sinner and you've got sin in your life, which let me make it very clear, you have a sin nature, you are a sinner, you have sinned multiple ways today in thought, word, and deed, but what you've done and you've left undone. You have sinned internally, you have sinned externally. You may not want to realize it, just compare your life to the law of God and you will say, I am unclean, All right? So, so now this is where this is going to lead to is guess what? It's your fault. Because all you had to do was use the blood of Jesus. I don't know where it is. I don't know how you get to it. But all you have to do is use it. 
Now, remember, the, the same blood that cleansed you perfectly positionally is available to cleanse you practically. So it, you would think all you would have to do is make use of it once and then you would be cleansed forever. But okay, I still need, we need to figure out exactly how am I made clean by this blood? Where is this blood? How do I get to it? How do I, how do I use it? Someone, so I need to know. I need to know. So let's see if we're going to find out. All right, here we go. You ready? Here we go. Let's listen carefully. And they see it. They recognize their sin. And they turn on their heel. And they walk right past. Because they do not wish to cleanse themselves. You know, I've come to believe that the only thing standing between your spiritual cleansing and mine is the grip that we have on our sin. Because the means of cleansing is all there. The blood of Jesus Christ is there. Everything necessary to wash it away. The soap in the men's restroom may not wash away grease from a man's hands, but the blood of Jesus Christ has never failed to wash away sin. It's all there. It's all available. All that it takes is for you and for me to cleanse ourselves. It's not a decision God has to make. No, He's already made that decision. It's a decision you make. It's a decision I make. And can I tell you, if you are, if you are going to have the, the greatest blessing out of this year, you're going to make this decision. Lord, I don't want to hold on to my sin anymore. Some of you have had some things happen in your, in your past while you were a teenager. They just, they're, they're just awful to even describe and think about that. And let me tell you, it's going to take the grace of God, but if you hang on to that bitterness, it will destroy you. There are some of you, you, some of you men right now, right now, right here, right now, are struggling with pornography. I've read the statistics. I know, I know what it looks like. I'm just telling you, if you don't, if you decide, well, it's not that bad after all, I'll be without it for an entire semester and uh, then Christmas break will come and then we'll see what happens. Listen, if you go with that attitude, that's going to destroy you. You're walking right past the means of cleansing. I'm just simply here to tell you, here in this passage of scripture, it's not God that comes in and cleanses me. No, no, no. I am the one that makes the decision here. The Bible says, let us cleanse ourselves. Okay, he still hasn't told me how, he still has not told us how we do this. It makes it sound like you just make a decision. I'm not going to look at porn anymore. You just make a decision. Well, I'm not going to be bitter anymore. All these horrible things, I'm just not going to be. And that's how the blood, I thought, so I just decide I'm not going to do it anymore. And that's how the blood cleanses me. If the blood is the thing that cleanses me, just tell me how to access the blood and then it should cleanse me of the sin and then I don't have to worry about it anymore, right? It sounds like that this is not, the blood isn't doing anything. I'm just deciding not to do it anymore. It sounds like that all he's really, he's repackaging, just stop doing it. Which, guess what? You have a sinful nature, so you can never stop doing it perfectly because you have a sin nature. So I need the blood to get rid of my sin nature, then I can stop doing it. But I can never truly stop sinning until I get rid of the sin nature. Why is this so complicated in the evangelical Christian church in America? I don't understand. We perceive everything as just some external act. What causes the external act is the sinful nature. The sinful nature is not eradicated in salvation. So therefore, we're never going to be perfect. But you're just saying, all I got to do is just stop it. 
Hey, just forgive people. Just stop being bitter. Just love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Just be holy as God is holy. Just decide to do it and you can do it. Well, that means I can do it perfectly. If you say I can't do it perfectly, why can't I do it perfectly? Well, that may mean there's something present that's still keeping me bound, that's still holding me. That is the sin nature. So I cannot just decide to stop sinning if I have a sin nature that keeps me from perfection. Now you can say, well, you could stop this action or this action. Even if I stop the action, if I'm, I could still be sinning in my mind, in my feelings and my desires and my wants and my words. So he, he, he built this up like he's got the answer. It's the blood of Jesus. And then it's all, it's reverted right back to the standard. Just stop it. Just stop it. Do not do that. It's just reverted back to just basically law, 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 law. Law doesn't cleanse you. Law condemns you. Law exposes the nature that is inside of you. This is a, this is an obliteration of a proper distinction between law and gospel. And it's slowly but surely, he hasn't, I mean, well, he's already done it a little bit, but it's going to get very close to turning justification, not into a justification based off an imputed righteousness, but based on an infused righteousness that now gives you the ability to just say, I stop it. But somehow it's the blood of Jesus supposedly doing it, but he's not told me exactly how I make, how I get the blood of Jesus. I don't even understand this. This is, this is a standard, like, you can listen to these sermons for 30 years being a Christian and you will never truly, you're just going to, I don't even think Christians actually ever think about it. I think they just hear the sermon say amen and just leave. Because if anyone thinks about it, they'll be like, none of this works. From all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. What an interesting phrase, filthiness of the flesh and spirit. There's filthiness that you and I can see. It's interesting. I've seen uh, church discipline scenarios uh, through the years as I've been able to deal with churches for over 20 years. I've never, I've, I've seen people disciplined out of a church because of adultery. I believe rightfully so. It's a sin of the flesh. It's an outward sin. It's a public sin. It's, it's, it's something that, it, that is, brings reproach to the cause of Jesus Christ. I've seen people disciplined out for the sins of the flesh. Wickedness. Wickedness without a doubt. But I'm telling you, there's a lot of the sins of the Spirit that we just kind of sweep under the rug and we think it's not that big a deal. Can I'm, t- I'm just going to tell you now, you may, you, you, if, you, if you commit adultery, it's going to have terrible ramifications for your ministry. But if you go from this place arrogant, it's not going to be any better. And the worst part is, there are people who, can, who continue on in their pride and their arrogance, and they maintain their position because nobody gets disciplined out of the church for the sins of the Spirit. I'm just here to tell you, in this verse of the Bible, God says they're both wrong, they're both wicked, they both have no place in the life of a believer, and here, the Apostle Paul is imploring you and me, let us cleanse ourselves. Let us not sweep it under the rug. Let us not conclude it's not that bad. Let's get rid of it. Because everything necessary for our cleansing has been made available.
Now, I absolutely appreciate the fact that he's dealing with not just the external sins, but the internal sins. And I completely agree. People will get disciplined for an external and nobody gets in trouble for an internal because you can cover that up. And even when the internal manifests itself, unless it's a certain kind of sin, typically sexual sin, that's when you get in trouble. 50,000 other sins you don't. And many of those churches that will uh, uh, discipline someone for adultery or discipline someone for premarital sex will have people sitting in their church who were married, got divorced, got remarried. And even if you believe in an exception clause allowing someone to get divorced, you would still have a hard time proving remarriage. But even if you, you were, even if you were able to prove divorce and remarriage is okay, many of them don't meet the criteria for the exemptions that some people believe are available. Well, then guess what? They're committing adultery, but they don't get excommunicated. They don't get disciplined. So you literally can have someone getting excommunicated for adultery where people are sitting in the church who are committing adultery. <laughs> Sometimes the whole system is so messed up because even, even if you believe in, even if you believe, okay, this person got divorced, had a biblical grounds to get divorced. And I, and then you say you believe that remarriage. Okay. You may have 10 couples who you believe met the requirement for a biblical divorce and a biblical remarriage. I'm just saying, even if you believe that, but you're going to almost always have people who don't really meet the requirements. That's it. That's if you allow for for the the ex- exemption clause. Okay. Okay. Based off this, you can get divorced and you can get remarried. So, what about those who don't meet that those that criteria? Now, and I'm not saying the criteria exists or doesn't exist. I'm saying if you even if you believe it exists, you'll have people who don't meet that criteria. Meaning they're now in a relationship that doesn't meet the criteria for a biblical divorce and a remarriage. Therefore, they're living in sin. And guess what? They'll never be church disciplined. Someone else commit, then they'll be disciplined. How, how can we be that inconsistent? And we will, we will possibly in many cases excommunicate someone for external adultery. But does anyone get uh, excommunicated for internal adultery? Does anyone get excommunicated for spiritual adultery? And since all of these things continually happen in our church, he's he's he talks about all the church discipline he has seen. Why is anyone being church disciplined? Because don't they have the blood of Christ that just will cleanse them? Well, they didn't. They didn't see. They didn't want the blood of Jesus. They didn't want the blood of Jesus that will cleanse them. But all they, if all they have to do is access the blood, then they would be cleansed of all of this. That why is the church? So I guess the majority of people in the church, since the majority of people in the church is always committing some kind of sin, we just don't want the blood of Jesus. But he's now reduced the blood of Jesus to you just deciding not to do it. But again, if the sinful nature remains, how 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 much? Can, how holy can you decide to be? Well, you know you can't be, you can't decide to be perfectly holy. So even your best decision can't get you to holiness. So I don't under, he's yet to really qualify how clean we can actually, he's basically reduced that we get clean by deciding to get clean. Yet he's calling it by, that we're accessing the blood of Jesus. But the blood of Jesus sounds like it's nothing more than just you making a decision. But he's yet really not qualified or quantified in any way, shape, or form exactly how clean that can be. The whole thing is just a, it's, once again, it's, it's a lot of words, 
It's a lot of passion. But what? when you break it all down, what do we have? But the ultimate choice is up to you. It's up to me. The Apostle Paul speaks of a motive in this verse. He speaks of a method in this verse. Notice what it says, continuing in verse 1. The Bible says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Notice this, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I would suggest that this is the mark of our cleansing. This is the goal. This is that point toward which we are aiming and at which we are shooting. This is the mark of cleansing. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. It's interesting how we as human beings work. We are, uh, every human being, it seems, acknowledges the presence of sin. They know that there are people in this world that, that are sinful, but uh, it's, never, it's never us, is it? It's always somebody else. I go into church after church today and they can tell me all kinds of evil and all kinds of wickedness about the gay rights crowd. There are some churches I go into, they can tell me all the injustices of the Democrats. Maybe there's a place to talk about that, but that's not going to draw you any closer to God. Because the more I point out the sin in your life, the better I look in my own eyes. And I'm going to tell you, we've got a sin today in the United States of America. It's saved and unsaved alike. It's the sin of self-righteousness. Because we see so many things on social media, we see so many things on the all kinds of media that it's available to you and me today. And as we see these things, we say we are we we rise up in anger at the injustice or whatever it may be. We rise up and say, That's not right. But I'm right. But I'm right. Let me just remind you when Jesus rose to excoriate people in his day, it was not the publicans that bore the brunt of his wrath. It was the Pharisees. It was the Pharisees. So when a message like this is preached, it's not uncommon that somebody says, well, I wish somebody I know at work could be here to hear this. I wish my brother could have heard this. I wish my cousin is tuning in right now. I wish, and on and on we could go because we all see the sin in other people all the time having a tendency to justify ourselves. That's just the human tendency. That's why the story of the, of the Good Samaritan was told, if you remember. There's the man that, according to the Gospel of Luke, he, willing to justify himself, asked the question, who is my neighbor? That's just a human tendency. It's been around since Jesus' day and before. And I'm going to tell you, when you and I hear a message like this, It's very easy to look at someone else and say, wow, they needed to hear that. But maybe God has this message for you. Maybe you and I have a tendency to accept a level of sin in our life. What I love about these messages... Whenever Christians preach about sanctification, on one hand, they seem to 
insinuate, if not just explicitly state, you have power, you have the ability, you can do this, you can do that. The, you have available to you the blood of Jesus that will just cleanse you from everything. Basically, Christians can be basically perfect. And then inevitably in these sermons, it'll be like, well, you've got this problem, and most of you probably got this sin, and you got this sin. Well, it's always like, hey, you, you basically shouldn't be sinning, but then it's always an acknowledgement that everyone in here is either sinning actually, some of you are looking at porn, some of you doing this, some of you are doing this, some of you are self-righteous, and so immediately you realize, well, then nobody in this church obviously is you, nobody in this school he thinks is real, has, has applied the blood of Jesus. Why wouldn't you just say, hey guys, we're, we're not going to talk about sin today because I know all of you have the blood of Jesus available to you and you've obviously are utilizing it, so you don't have sin. If you're struggling with sin, just remember, you have the blood of Jesus, just utilize it, and you'll be clean. I don't really need to say much. All you got to do is just use it, and you'll be clean. Now, again, it appears that whatever the blood of Jesus, well, I mean, really, let's just be honest. I don't know why he's calling it the blood of Jesus. He's just calling it, you make a decision to stop cleaning, uh, sinning. All you have to do is just decide. And it sounds like you just... If, if, I mean, let's just think about this logically. If I can just decide not to sin, then that obviously means he believes in the eradication of the old nature, or maybe he's full-blown Pelagian and never believes in the presence of the old nature in the first place. But I don't think he's a Pelagian. I don't, he may be semi-Pelagian, uh, but clearly he seems to believe you can just on your own just say, hey, I'm not going to sin. Meaning you would have to be free of a sin nature. Meaning that you could then decide to be perfect. However, even though while he's claiming that, obviously he thinks everyone in front of them are involved in all kinds of sins. He knows people there are, are uh, looking at pornography. He knows there's those struggling with some kind of other habits he won't go into detail with. He knows that there's, he, that there's self-righteousness. He seems to know that everyone in front of him is involved in some kind of sin. So I don't understand. If, if, all, if, if Christians can basically be perfect, then why do we constantly preach about all the sin that is present in the church? There shouldn't be any. God's not pleased with it, but we're okay with it. Because there are other people whose level of sin is a whole lot lower than ours and their standards are a whole lot worse than ours and so we can tend to justify ourselves and feel good about ourselves when all the time God is saying, no, there is a goal that is higher. There is a mark that is greater. You and I are to be perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What is holiness? It means that God is completely separate from sin. It means there is no iniquity in heaven. There is no iniquity in our God. He cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. That's what it means. And so you and I are to have that same kind of mindset in our minds. We're supposed to be free from the iniquity and sin. And we're to be perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Not only are we to have a high standard, but we understand there's consequences. There's consequences. We don't meet that standard. As the oldest of the three boys in our home, I was, I was the first to become an independent sort of boy. Every boy wants to be independent. My illusions of independence began when I was, I suppose, four, maybe five. And one of the, one of the, first, one of the first ways that it showed up is uh, I informed my mother one day. I said, uh, I, don't, I, I, can, I can get clean on my own. I can take a bath or a shower on my own. My mother was exceedingly skeptical. She looked at me and she said, 
okay, but before you go to bed, I'm going to have to inspect you. I thought that for about a nanosecond, and I thought, freedom, okay, I want to go. And so I went in there, and, uh, and I prepared everything. I don't know if it was a bath or a shower. There was a time when I was deathly afraid of water coming out of the wall, and so I don't know, I don't know where in the process it was, but uh, I went in there, and, man, I, I, I made a fundamental assumption that many boys that age make, and that is, if you get wet, you got clean. That's what I assumed. So sure enough, I went in there. Man, every part of me got wet. Got down on the water. Oh, man, it's great. Just like a big swimming pool. Only my brothers are nowhere to be found and there's no mother to supervise me. This is wonderful. And so I got out. I got my pajamas on. And uh, I was about to run because boys, when they're awake at that age, they just run everywhere. That's just what they do. And uh, so I was going to run from the bathroom, turn the corner to the left, and run into our bedroom and then probably fall asleep. And that's boys are the ones that gave that expression fall asleep because it's like. Just a personal pet peeve. I, I just hate, this is what boys do. This is what boys do. Like he just universally paints all boys with a, a, the same brush. Like just speak for yourself. You don't have to speak for an entire gender. I always hate that, right? Pastors, a lot of pastors love, boys will do this. Boys will do this. Boy, and you're placing an expectation on a boy or a girl that this is the way you must behave. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. I got, I just got so sick of that growing up. If you're a boy, you're going to play in the dirt and you're going to get muddy and you're going to get a gun. and You're going to go shoot Bambi and you're going to play with trucks and you're going to want to work on cars. And it's like, I didn't want to do any of that stuff. Now in 2023, that could have had profound impact on me because society would have been like, well, maybe you're not really a boy or maybe you're, you're not, you, maybe you're not a heterosexual. I hate that. Don't place these gender expectations. I'm a boy. I'm male. I'm obviously by no means homosexual, but just because I don't follow all the stereotypes that a guy is supposed to do. I just, I hate that. That's like, this is how you're supposed to be. Just stop it. Now, I'm not saying he's going too far here, but it just, I just, it just reminds me of how I've heard too many sermons. A boy will do this and a boy will do this and a boy and a boy. And I, and I've seen that. Um, my, my daughters were always in dance. And if there would be a boy in dance, almost inevitably we would hear the story that the mom wants the boy in dance, but the dad's like, I don't want my boy dancing and I don't want my boy wearing pink. And I, because if he does that, something's wrong with him. And like, I was the kid who loved dance. I was the kid who loved all this other stuff. And I didn't want to be out working on cars. I could care less. I didn't want to be getting my hands dirty. I didn't want to be out there with cows and horses and I didn't want to be hunting. No, I want to be listening to music or reading or doing this. That didn't make me any less of a boy or any less of a man. I'm so sick of that. Like, this is what it requires. I'm not, I'm not saying he's going that far, but I just got to bring it up because I just think that that's damaging because then society will come and say, well, guess what? See, you're not acting like a boy. Maybe you're not a boy. Stop doing that. You, you, people are individuals. I'm an individual, right? My sexuality, my gender is not based because I don't meet some superimposed expectation upon me that society just says this is what a boy is supposed to do. Just because I don't do those things doesn't call into question my gender or my sexuality. 
It's just ridiculous and it's damaging, all right? And just, he, he has to keep saying everything. Boys, boys, do this. Boys, 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 boys. Like, just speak for yourself. You did that. Who cares? Other boys may, other boys may not. You may be 60% right. Maybe you're 70% right. But there could be others who don't fall into that. Don't make them question their gender or their sexuality because they don't meet your expectation of what a boy should or shouldn't do. I can't stand that. Okay. All right. I digress. We're still trying to get to sanctification at this point, and he's not helping us very much. Well, let's see if we can get there. Like this. Boom. That's the way it works. By the way, that's the way it's supposed to work. It's the way it's supposed to work. Don't put a screen in front of your kid because somebody says he's ADHD. He's a boy. Let him run. Let him play. Let him get snake bit. Let him get dirty. And all of that. Anyway, I digress. So I, I got all wet. I got all wet. I had my pajamas on and I, I had dried off, you know, and I came out and my mom, I was almost in the bedroom. My mom said, wait, hold it right there, young man. The words young man, though not my name, always meant I had better pay attention to what had just been spoken. And so I stopped. I need to inspect you before you go off to bed in case you go get into bed dirty. And so my mother pulled up my pajama sleeve and she said, roll your arm over. I wasn't quite sure what that meant, but then she helped me. And there on the back of my arm was red dirt. Now, I grew up in upstate South Carolina. All dirt is red in South Carolina, okay? Some of you from the Midwest, why was it red? That's just the way it is, okay? But there on the back of my arm was red dirt. I thought, I've been framed. (laughs) Somebody, this is it, somebody took the towel and rubbed the dirt into the towel. I know I got clean because I got wet. And I know that I must be. So somebody is playing a trick on me. Then my mother grabbed my ear. I would like to say that she lovingly and gently grabbed it, but I don't know. Maybe she just had figured out by that point that loving and gentle, it's not the best way for boys. So, come here. She said there's enough dirt in your ears to grow potatoes. I lived in the upstate of South Carolina. The only thing we could grow was kudzu. I had no idea. I had no idea what that meant. Grow potatoes. Then I saw a potato farm. Oh, that's what my mom meant. Yeah, now I get it. 30 or 35 years old, you know. I get it. And then she said, she said, did you wash behind your ears? Now, Mom, I got you there because I can't see behind my ears. If there's dirt, I had no idea. But you know what? She would take that washcloth and she could turn it into 60 grit sandpaper. (laughs) You're killing me, Mom. But you know what my mother was doing all that time? She was teaching me that I, as a four-year-old boy, thought I knew what clean really was. Once again, the illustration seems to be falling apart because your whole story is you couldn't get clean, so someone had to clean you. But your whole point is we have to clean ourselves. (laughs) Every one of his stories fall apart it, oh man, look, if you're going to tell an illustration, the illustration needs the, it, like his story with the bathrooms is none of the stuff works. 
But somehow it pictures the blood of Jesus, which will cleanse you. You just have to use it. But then we found out that you're not, you don't really use the blood of Jesus. You just decide to be clean. Now he's like, but we cleanse ourselves. We have to do it. We have to pursue holiness. But now his entire story is he thought he could do it. He couldn't do it. And his mom had to do it for him. (laughs) None of his stories are working. Okay. All right. Let's continue. But my standard of clean was not going to serve me for the rest of my life. It wouldn't do for me to come in with grease all over my face today. It wouldn't do. It wouldn't do for me to have that same uh, idea about being clean that I had when I was four or five or however old I was back then. No, she was teaching me, son, you need to raise your standards to my standards, and if you do not, there are consequences. And I'm going to tell you, we serve a God in heaven who wants you and me to raise our standards to his standards. Because if we don't, there's going to be consequences. But ladies and gentlemen, the good news is there's not a person in this room today that cannot leave this chapel completely clean. There's consequence. What's the consequence? He's almost making it sound like we're going to lose our salvation. No, And there's no one here who can't leave completely clean? Are you talking positionally? It sounds like he's talking practically. So all you have to do, everyone can leave clean. So if you can leave clean, that means everyone can, everyone in that chapel can leave without a sinful nature. Because as long as you have a sinful nature, sorry to break it to you, you're not clean. You literally have sin in your nature. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. From all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And that's the end. I, that's sanctification in the American church. That, that, that really is. I, I don't even know what to make of that. I don't even know what to do with that. I don't even have a clue. You, you can leave here clean. I haven't really told you. Uh, and how do you do so? You just decide. You just decide. I, I'm sitting in chapel. I'm clean. Now you watch, everyone sitting in that chapel who decided they're clean, they left chapel, and guess what they've done? I don't know when that chapel was preached, I think two or three days ago. They've all sinned, who knows how many times since then. They've sinned in their thoughts, they've sinned in their words, they've sinned in their feelings and desires, and they have sinned in their actions. They have sinned in what they have done, they have sinned in what they've left done. And he left them no comfort, no hope, no nothing other than they're going to face consequences. And they're like, but, 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 but I can be clean. I just got to decide. I just got to decide. And I'm going to decide. Oh, but I, I keep sinning. But I got to decide. But I keep sinning. At some point, you know what you think? Christianity is a lie. It doesn't work. That's what leads to deconstruction. That's what leads leads young people to go, this thing does not work. Because if you care at all about the holiness of God, if you will truly look to the holiness of God, you will see how far you fall short all the time. 
But Christians keep telling you, no, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And then you convince yourself you are. The only way to convince yourself you are, you have to then create in your mind. Basically, you have to become self-righteous and pretend that you are. Stop looking at the holiness of God. Look to everyone else. Say you're better than them. And then you become self-righteous. And then you become an arrogant, condescending, judgmental jerk. Not even realizing that that's just evidence of more sin. There we go. We completed it. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what to say. Now, I still don't have everything figured out with 2 Corinthians 6, 17 through 18 and 7, 1. I did the best I could in the last episode. We can talk about that more if you need to. In the meantime, you can email me. We're at 71 minutes, so we already went longer than I wanted to. You can email me at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I hope your eyes will be opened to almost the malpractice that happens in pulpits across the United States of America when it comes to sanctification and how inevitably it corrupts and it denies the doctrine of justification by an imputed righteousness. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.